0: Temptation is defined as an inducement to do evil. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, there are powerful forces that are constantly at work trying to ruin a believer's character and witness. Satan is constantly dogging us, the world is forever luring us, and we are being tempted. Being tempted in and of itself is not a sin, but yielding is. We commonly hear the expression, I fell into temptation. But in reality, nobody falls into temptation. They walk into it one step at a time. The process starts in the mind. By the way, we do have a nursery here for this one. Be good. We often find ourselves uh, lingering with things in our mind. And when we do, and if we do, those thoughts become blazing passions that crave satisfaction. But thank God we're not just stuck. There are some weapons that God's given us, and throughout Scripture, and today in 1 John chapter 3, we're going to, or 5, we're going to see three of them, three ways to conquer these bad habits and give us good ones. I like what the late Dr. Adrian Rogers said, your character is the harvest of your habits. And so let's make that harvest a bumper crop today. Just a little ring uh, this morning. in the. Let's all bow our heads, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace and for your strength. Oh God, would you this morning give us the grace and the power to Weaponize ourselves against temptation. Thank you for these faithful servants. Thank you for the good reports, the great worship, the sweet fellowship already, Lord, the great word that's already gone forth in our first hour. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5, if you would, please. 1 John chapter 5. The beloved John was used by the Holy Spirit to write three epistles in addition to the gospel. If you want to find 1 John, just go all the way to the book of Revelation, and then just do a U-turn, come back a couple chapters there, and you'll find it, 1 John chapter 5. Now, we're going to read all five verses of the first five verses of chapter 5, and we're going to read them together out of our beloved authorized version. And so, if you would, please, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Begin. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice that three times in these last two verses he says overcoming. God's people are supposed to be overcomers. And God is here to help us conquer any habit without drugs, without doctors, and as we sang a few moments ago, without delay. God is here to help us. God wants us to be an overcomer today, tomorrow, this next week, and for the rest of our life. Are you an overcomer? Or are you here this morning just simply holding on, just hoping that somehow you'll make it? You might be like the lady who said, I can overcome anything but temptation And we want to make sure that we are overcomers. We sing victory in Jesus, but so many today aren't victors, but rather victims. Overcoming is not being a super Christian. It's the normal Christian life. The lady must have been very desperate when she decided to write a letter to dear Abby. Here's what the letter read. Dear Abby, I'm 44. I'd like to meet a man my age with no bad habits. She signed her name, Rose. Abby replied, Dear Rose, so would I. (laughs) There is a lot of truth to Abby's uh, answer. I think it has become the norm that people have bad habits. That's actually not the way it's supposed to be with God's people. The late Southern Baptist evangelist, Vance Havner, once wrote, and I remember all these years, he said, the truth is Christianity today is so subnormal that if we ever became normal, we'd be considered abnormal. And that's really true. You know, we just kind of have gotten used to not being overcomers, but God doesn't want us to be victims, but victors. Now, there are three ways to accomplish that in life. Let's go to those. First of all, we overcome by the birth. Verse number one, whosoever believe that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Underline that or circle that or highlight that. We are born of God. Everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. Verse 4, whatsoever is born of God. There's that phrase again. Three times in these verses, God reminds us about a birth. Now certainly John is being theological here, but not just so that we can be a better theologian, but so that we might live a victorious life so that we might know how to overcome and to be obedient. Now, folks, most people in the world, and frankly, even most who call themselves Christians, don't really know what a true Christian is. I'm always surprised when you talk to somebody who goes to church and sometimes is out and about, and we'll talk to somebody who actually faithfully goes to a Christian church, and you begin to talk to them about what a Christian is and ask them the question, what is a Christian? It's actually surprising, even almost fearful, to hear how that even such a rudimentary question is so often just mangled. Most Christians, sadly, who name themselves, don't know what a real Christian is. My feeling is that there are at least three common false hopes that people cling to when they think about Christianity. The first one is ceremony. They think that, well, I'm a Christian because I've been baptized. Now, being baptized is an amazing step. It is a biblical and a right thing to do, as we'll see in a few moments as we have a baptism. But being baptized doesn't make me a Christian. People think that, well, maybe I get joined the church or I was dedicated in church and so I'm a Christian. There's a second common misconception and false hope is that is culture. Well, I have always been a Baptist. My parents were Baptist and we're Baptist and all my family is Baptist or we're always Seventh-day Adventist or we've always been Church of Christ or whatever. And that is just our culture. I mean, well, it's just what have we've always been. And the concept is that I was born a Christian. Nobody's born a Christian. Ceremony and culture doesn't make me a Christian. The third common misconception is that of conduct. Well, I'm a Christian because basically I'm a good person. I really am. I mean, I don't, I don't steal from people. I don't kill people. I don't lie. And so I must be a Christian. But God erases any confusion about what a Christian is here. And he says very clearly that a Christian is one where a new birth has taken place. When Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. The actual Greek phrasing there, anothan, is to be born from above. And that's the, what it means to be born again. It's not like I turn over a new leaf and boy, I'm just really ready to go now, even though that probably is true when we become a child of God. But being a child of God is about bloodline. You get new blood, that's why God calls it regeneration. You get new genes, regenes. You have been transformed. There is God that is now birthed in you. People say we're all God's children. Well, that may be good old um, gospel song, but the fact is, it's not true. We're either a child of God or a child of the devil, or as the gospel said, a child of disobedience. And the Bible teaches us very clearly here that you have to be born of God. And then it clarifies, well, how do you get born of God? You believe that Jesus, look what the verse says. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ isn't his last name. That's a title. It means he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. Every Jewish person that has ever gotten saved had to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You can't just be born a Jew and you just somehow just kind of just kind of move into heaven. You can't be born an American and somehow just go to heaven. No, the Bible says you have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. As good as Abraham was and as amazing a man Moses was or David was or the apostle Paul, the fact is only Christ can save. Only he can can pay for my eternal salvation because his blood was precious blood. It was eternal blood. A human could only pay for one person's salvation. But notice what he says, we are born of God. Now, what are the characteristics of someone who's been birthed? In the book of 1 John, he gives us four birthmarks of a real believer. Seven times in the book of 1 John, God uses the word born of God, born of God, born of God. You got to be born of God. Well, I was raised an American. Well, that was great. That's was a privilege. That doesn't make us a Christian. Well, I was, I was raised in church. Great, but that doesn't make us a Christian. We have to be born of God. Well, then if we're born of God, there are at least four birthmarks. We have been having fun looking at our new little twin grandchildren, little twin identical daughters. And, uh, One's named Glory. She came out first. And then, hallelujah, she's came out second. And uh, I saw Glory this morning, and it was a pure guess. I looked at it to Sarah. I said, oh, there's Glory. And she said, how'd you know that? I said, yeah, it was a guess. But uh, <laughs> honestly, I can't tell the difference between them. But they do actually have a little. One's a little thinner than the other. But, uh. Now, what are the birthmarks? Well, they have birthmarks. And There are at least four birthmarks of a believer. The first one is they hunger for righteousness. 1 John 2, 29, if you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who doeth righteousness is born of him. Fact is, people who are saved hunger to do the right thing. You can identify something by its nature, by its appetite. Now, I love dogs. I do. I love big dogs. I don't think I want to own one. I saw this big old giant wolfhound looking thing the other day in San Francisco. I thought, man, that thing is like as tall as that little Asian person carrying along. I was like, my goodness. That dog is it bigger than It must have taken up the whole car. I love big dogs. I love little small dogs. I even like little chihuahuas. And uh, I mean, I like dogs, but I will tell you something about dogs. Dogs are disgusting. They are disgusting. They will eat anything. Why? Because it is their nature to do that. Humans don't do that. They want something good. They have a hunger for something good. I've never had a dog walk up to me and say, you know what I would like, Master? I would just love a big old kale salad. (laughs) Of course, I never want one myself either, but (laughs) my wife does. She's such a good eater, I'll tell you that for sure. But in the same way, a lost man has no hunger for the things of God. You've never heard a lost person say, I tell you what, the best days of my life are just sitting down with my Bible and Jesus. Coffee and Jesus. Boy, I tell you what, I just love reading my Bible. But for a born again child of God, you give them an hour sitting there in their chair with a cup of coffee and Jesus. I mean, it's just like eating a big old ribeye steak and and potatoes, and boy, I mean, big old biscuit. I mean, it's just, I can't wait. Honestly, I don't mean to sound like a great Christian here, but I honestly, this is the fact, many a night I will lay down, and the last thing I'm thinking is, I cannot wait to wake up. Because I cannot wait to get a promise in the morning. Because all day long, I work on that promise. Oh, God, I need it, and I just... I love reading God's word because I know I'm going to get a promise in the morning. It's like a big old, big old biscuits and gravy for breakfast. I mean, that's what it is right there. It is just so good. They not only have a hunger for righteousness, a real believer hates sin. Verse three, Chapter 3, verse 9, whosoever is born of God, here's a birthmark. They cannot commit sin, meaning they don't want to commit sin for his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. A genuine child of God, sinning cuts against the grain. It doesn't mean Christians can't sin. It just means it just, it's no fun. I mean, it may be fun for the second, but afterward, it just stings. It's just no fun because uh, there's an inner restraint. When you find someone who is lost, honestly, they have no inner restraint. When you are a parent of a lost child or perhaps you're a teacher with a lost student or you're a coach with lost people or you have a company with lost people, you know it because they don't have an inner restraint for doing anything wrong. I mean, it's just their basic operating system is not Apple. It's not OS. It's not Microsoft, you know, MS. It is DGC, don't get caught. That's their basic operating system. As long as I don't get caught, I'll do it. But if I get caught, I'm not going to do it. That's, that's their basic operating system. It's not like there's an inner latch on the heart that keeps that gate shut. It's just, you know, as long as I don't get caught, I'm good. There should be an inner hunger to do right and a hatred against sin. When you don't see someone ever sorry for their sin. You're dealing with your child. They never weep over their sin. Not weep because they got caught. Not weep because you know, they, they, they're, they're in pain, but weeping because they sinned against God. If you have a child like that, you know they're not saved yet. I know a lot of parents are just so worried. What, you know, I'm worried about my child. Well, it's not that your child is so disobedient as much as they're just lost. They just have a different nature. And until they get saved, there's not going to be any inner hunger to do what's right. I'm always fighting against this person. It's because they're lost. They are on their way to hell, and they need Jesus Christ. We need to pray that they'll be born again. Not just join a church, but born again. There's a third birthmark, and that is they're happy in church, and they're happy around God's people. Chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. They love Christians, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. The Spirit of God is the spirit of love. There's no way that the Holy Spirit could live in a person without that person having a genuine loving spirit. The truth of the matter is, love doesn't come from hormones, it comes from heaven. Love is the spirit of God. When a person is born of God, they love fellow believers. When you have someone that just honestly, I mean, you practically have to drag them in the church. That's probably a pretty good indicator. I mean, they just, they, can't, they just don't want to go to church. You have to beat them to go to church. You have to threaten them. You have to make them feel guilty, whatever the case is. That's why around here, we'll we remind folks, we'll try to get folks to come. We are not about to just beg people to come to church because we know it's an indicator of where their heart is. I didn't call you up this morning. You came because you wanted to. That's an indicator of your nature. The Holy Spirit in you loves to be around God's people. That says something about you. And you love to go to church. I mean a real church too, by the way. Not one of these girly churches. You know, meeting over at the, over at the coffee shop, you know. But a man of God preaching the word of God to the people of God. A church. That's when you, you know you love a church. I heard the other day someone didn't like our Freedom Fest because... They said uh, they're kind of one of these girly Christians, and they said uh, they didn't like the fact that we were so patriotic for such a corrupt com- country. And I'll tell you one thing, you know, what a sad day it is when the Christianity of our country has gotten to the point where we don't just are thankful for what people have done for us and the price they've paid. I'll tell you what, there's a fourth birthmark, and that is that they have a habit of victory. Verse 4, as we'll see, it says they're born of God and they overcome the world. They're not a one-hit wonder. They're not a flash in the pan, but they consistently serve God. Week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, they serve God. Do you ever wonder why so many people go back to their old life? It's a nature problem. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter He said if they're a dog or if they're a pig, they go back. Pigs go back to the slop. Dogs go back to their vomit. Let me read the verse. The dog is turned to his vomit again, and the sow that was washed in her wallowing to the mire. Now, folks, that's some pretty straight preaching right there, but the fact is it's a nature issue. It's a birth issue. It's a bloodline issue. A human has a different. A bloodline than a pig or a dog. And the same thing God is saying to us. You have a new nature. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Wherefore are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of a divine nature. Really? Wow. Think about this. I become a partaker of the divine nature of God. God now lives in me. Sometimes we ask a person, do you have Jesus in your heart? Yes, he does. He is in my heart. That was one of the things that our missionary in Vanuatu, that small, very uh, undeveloped South Pacific island, he uh, he told me that he really had a challenge winning these people to the Lord because he came and he would tell them, you are a sinful person. And they said, yes, I am. He said, you need God in your life. And they said, yes, I do. He would say, you need to pray. They said, yes, I do. And he'd say, pretty much everybody did the same thing. And he said, I couldn't convince them that they were really lost and they needed Jesus Christ. It was, I, he said, it was the strangest thing. And then he said, one day I realized that he began to tell them they need to be born again. And they said, what does that mean? He said, you need to have a new birth. You need to have new blood. New blood, yes. Ah, strange thing about the island of Vanuatu, and many South Pacific islands, Hawaii the same way. Many of the islands were divided by bloodlines, and even to this day, you the same bloodline may own a piece of property there, and ah, you will never be able to be a landowner because all the land's already been divided up. It's by blood. He said, how would you like to have God's blood in you? And they said, how could that happen? He said, you have to accept Jesus Christ and he comes to live inside of you, as it says here, a divine nature. People who try to live like Christ and be like Christ on the outside, but lack the nature of God on the inside are often defeated and always deceived. But if you're born of God, you have power. you would say, well, boy, I just can't have a victorious life. I've just... You know, I'm just uh, I just I'm a, there's just no way I can, folks. Being unassuming is not God's way. That's unbelief. God wants us to believe, God. Number 2, not only we overcome by the birth of God, but we overcome by the Bible. Look at verse 2 of 1 John chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we keep his commandments. If someone asked me, how do we fight against temptation. Well, the first thing is you got to be a child of God. Without that new nature, it's pretty much impossible. Then not only have we got to have a new nature, but we have to obey the things of God. It's pretty simple. God wants us to obey the commandments of God. You'd say, what is the formula for overcoming temptation? It's this simple, obey the Bible. God says, obey the commandments of God. If I have a Bible-loving, Bible-obeying lifestyle, then I'm going to be an overcoming Christian. Look what it says in verse 3. Here's how you prove you love God. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, folks, nobody can say that you love God if you don't love God's commandments. We sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, no, I don't, and not if I don't keep his word. We say, oh, I love God. No, you don't. Not if you cheat on your husband or wife. You don't love God. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you break that command, then the fact is you don't love Jesus. But we love Jesus, we love God, we don't do that. Don't say you love God and steal the tithe and offering. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. It's very clear, God says, the commandments of God prove that we love God. Now, notice what it says in verse 3. His commandments are not grievous. The fact is, obeying the Bible should not be a burden to you. It should be a blessing. It's amazing to me how often I find people that that the things of God are a drag to them. They're a burden to them. Somehow they get the idea that God just wants their life to be miserable I've talked with people who are lost, and they'll say, man, I could, there's no way I could be a Christian. Man, I love my marijuana too much, or I love my liquor too much, or I love you know, partying too much, or you know I love whatever little thing he, they do. The fact is, God nowhere said you have to give up joy to be saved. He didn't say you have to give up your hope for you know, all the fun things in life. Now, those things that are illicit and those things that are sinful, yes, of course, God doesn't want us to have those. But the point that God's trying to say here is, look, when you love God, you have a hunger for the things of God, and they speak to you differently. When God said, thou shalt not, he was actually saying, don't hurt yourself. You say, well, you know, I obey God because, you know, I know God wants me to. You know, whether we obey God or don't obey God, it's not going to change God. Did you know that God's not especially interested in us obeying Him for His sake? Because He's God regardless. You know, oh, you know, we we should not break God's commandments. You know, God's commandments break us. What God is trying to point out here is that my commandments are for you. When I'm saying, don't do this, I'm saying, it's like my dad told me when I was out there helping him with the... Change the tire. We had those old bumper jacks. They don't have them anymore. Thank God they don't have bumper jacks anymore. because course, they don't have bumpers anymore. But um, We would put that bumper jack under that bump and then start jacking there. He told me, son, do not Whatever you do, don't put your face over that thing and jack like that. Because he said, if you're not That thing will start flopping up and down, hit you in the chin, break your face. And I mean, he must have put the fear of God in me. I don't remember when he taught me that. But I'll tell you what, to this day, of course, I, I don't even, no matter what kind of jacket it is, I stand off to the side, you know, make sure you like that. <laughs> I don't know what that thing going to do, but uh, don't do that. Oh, you're so mean. You're such a mean father. Don't do that. <laughs> no, he was a good father. He was a loving father. He was saying, don't do this. Help yourself. Protect yourself. And that's what people say. Oh, I don't know. God is so negative. All those thou shalt nots. I went to this church and all they ever said was thou shalt not. One of our people told us the other day they were in a coffee shop and they were, they, they said their mouth muscle just like dropped open. like They heard two, two, I don't know, two folks talking in a nearby little table. And they said the word church, and so they, you know, ears perked up. And the one person said to the other, they said, man, you ought to come to our church. Because they don't care what the F you do. And they were like, what? You know what? That is a terrible, a terrible concept about what church is today. We don't want to have any thou shalt not. We don't want to say anything bad anymore. Folks, when God gives a negative, it's so that we can have a positive life. And God says the commandments of God should not be grievous or a burden. I talk with some Christians. I'm trying to do right. And to me, it's like they're just, their Christianity is a burden to them. The Bible is a burden to them. It seems like everything is a burden to them. Praying is a burden to them. Giving is a burden to them. I mean, it's just like they're just like loaded down. And I understand that they're missing that your Christianity should energize you, not drag you down. It should be a blessing and not a burden. If the Bible is a burden, there's, a, there's an appetite problem. There's something going on there. Folks, the things of God should be a privilege. We have a law in this land that parents are to take care of their children. You are to provide for them. You are to give them guidance. That is a law. But I don't know of any parent that's burdened by the law of the land. Taking care of the children is a privilege. I mean, it's a challenge, but it's a blessed challenge. I mean, it's, it's a joy to take care of your family. You don't say, oh, man, those stinking Democrats, those stinking Republicans put that law on the books. I have to take care of my kids. No, it's a privilege. The laws of God are meant to be a blessing and not a burden. And that's why God's saying the Bible should should enthuse you. It should excite you. It should give you energy and strength. That's the purpose of the Bible, Read it and love it and quote it and make it part of your everyday life, and you will overcome temptation. If your Bible and your Christianity is just a bunch of thou shalt nots, you're missing the point. Get born again and then love the book, a birth, a Bible, and then finally believing. Verse 4, "'Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world,' and this is the victory that overcometh the world." even our faith who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the son of god look at verse 4 even our faith who overcomes a person who has faith verse 5 who overcomes he that what believeth you do not overcome the world by trying you overcome the world by trusting. Let me say that again. You do not overcome the world by trying. You overcome the world by trusting. If you don't understand that, you will never have victory. Now you got to be saved. You got to be born of God. God has to be birthed in you. That's the new birth. When we're born from above, we get new blood. You see it's a it's a bloodline issue. People now they caught this, well I remember that killer was that Bay Area killer or whoever. They caught him through DNA. The DNA doesn't lie. And our DNA, our spiritual DNA doesn't lie. If you were to cut my me, and it were it possible to test my spiritual DNA, you would cut that and you would find I. I am related to Jesus Christ. His blood is flowing in my veins. I have been saved. He, I become a partaker of the divine nature of God. It is a blood issue. It's a, it's a DNA issue. There are folks in here, I'm, would, I would imagine, there are some people in here, should you be able to check your blood, and they would match it against that of Jesus Christ. You would find there's different blood. Not, you're not saved. You're, you may have a culture. You may have you know a ceremony, but you don't have Christ. So the first issue is a blood issue. It is a relationship to God. I have to have a birth. The second issue is I have to have something to hold on to. It's not just a Wimmy- whammy here, there, you know, watch Oprah, try to figure things out type of concept. No, it is a handle. It is the things of God. Genesis 1, Revelation 22, everything in between. The Word of God is everything I believe. I believe this book. I believe it from the beginning to the end. And that kind of a Christian, a Bible-loving, Bible-honoring, Bible-quoting Bible reading, Bible memorizing, Bible meditating Christian, that person has something meaty, not fluffy. I mean something meaty to hold on to. You've got to have a birth, you've got to have the book, and then you've got to have a belief. A belief? Faith is not simply believing what God says is true. Faith is acting on it because it is true. I say that again, it is not simply believing that what God says is true, it is acting on it because it is true. Faith is not blindly believing in spite of the evidence, it is acting on the word in spite of the consequences. There are lots of evidences that would say this is a stupid thing to do but because God says to do it, that's what I'm going to do. When Joshua was told to march around the walls, the evidence suggested that that was a stupid thing to do. But faith said, despite the evidence, I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to act on the word of God despite the consequences. They're going to call us crazy. It might not happen, but it doesn't make any difference to me. God Set it, and if it's hard in the flesh, I'll do it by the grace of God. Ultimately, if I'm not obeying, it's because I'm not believing. A lack of trust is the root of all disobedience. I'll say that again. A lack of believing is the root of all disobedience. Think about some of the reasons why, for example, we don't obey maybe our authority, our parent or our person who's in authority over us. Sometimes we know today people in our authorities because we don't believe, but they have our best interest in mind or that you know they just want to make our life painful or whatever. And so in that regard, obedience comes from trust. That's a good thing to write down. Obedience comes from trust. If I don't obey, it's because I really don't trust God. But if I trust God, I will obey, regardless of the evidence and regardless of the consequences. The evidences and the consequences make no difference to me. I am going to trust God, so I'm going to obey. It's as simple as that. I obey because I trust God. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, sometimes a little... um, Cerebral. But Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, faith is a deliberate confidence in the characters of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. I may not understand his ways, but I trust his character. Or like we, the song says, when I can't trace his hand, I trust his heart. Obedience comes from trust. And that kind of trust comes because I love God. I've got this new birth. I've been saved. It's in my blood. It's a DNA thing. I have something to hold on to. Folks, people who are saved but don't live in the book are just shallow. It's just, you're going to wash away. You're going to blow away quickly. And if you go back to the old life, it just proves you don't have the the nature of, of God. Peter said, it's as simple as this. You go back to the slop because you're a pig. You go back to your vomit because you're a dog. You leave the things of God. It just shows what your birthright is. When I come back to God, it shows I love him. I've got my natures there. I'm drawn to him. And then I love the things that he said. Why not? Because it's a love story. I love to read the things that my wife writes. And we love to read the things that remind us of how good the Lord is. And then, not only is it a birth thing, and not only is it a Bible thing, it is a believing thing. All of it means nothing unless I believe it. A father, as I close, told the story of his son's first serious conflict at school. He told the story of his little son that was getting picked on by three bullies. They would punch him. They would push his bike over, generally made his life so miserable. He told him, they told him that they were going to meet him the next day and they were going to beat him up. The dad was frustrated and angry, of course, but he knew this was kind of a necessary rite of passage and he wanted to be there for his son. So that evening, the father sat his son down and did give him some practical lessons on how to defend himself. But he just said, you know, I just believe that God is going to be there for you and you can do this thing. The next, boy, the next morning, they prayed together. The next morning, the boy got up and he choked back tears knowing that the inevitable was going to happen. And with a reassuring hug, the father smiled confidently and said, son, you can do this. You got this. I believe this. God's going to take care of you. The little boy got on his bike, tears running down his face, to begin that long, lonely road to school. But what the boy didn't know was that every block he rode, there was a car at a very safe distance behind him, out of sight, but ever ready to speed up and assist him if he needed help. And that was his dad. His dad was close by, watching the whole thing transpire in case he really did need it. Because of his birth, he was related to his father. Because of believing the words that he said, he was able to get victory. And I will tell you this morning, your father is there all the time. When you get saved, he is always there to help you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.